This is Madria Steven with the Working with Woes podcast. We had finished off an interview with Dr. Brian Kolb, an award-winning neuropsychologist in Canada, and we talked a little bit about the brain and some programs that he is developing for early intervention. The reason for my podcast series, The Basement Child and the Shocks of Normalcy, is just to raise awareness that brains can change and you have the power to change your brain for the better or for the worst. And I just want to try to encourage people to choose to change it for the better Because the brain does affect behavior and behavior does affect the brain. And the beauty of it all is that no matter what has happened to you, no matter how long, you can change your brain for the better at any point in time. Of course, it does take work and you do need some help. And there's a ton of things that it takes, including nutrition, sleep, etc., etc. But the point is that it's possible. So I just want to encourage people out there to choose to be good, to be kind to yourself, and then naturally that'll follow into being kind to other people. So this episode will be the last one in the Shocks to Normalcy series. First, I'm going to talk about some recent events that happened that were kind of shocking, and in a way it made me face all of my fears all at once. Yeah, it was just unexpected and it was nonstop and I had to cope with it every day. The silver lining of all of that is that I got some real closure to some pretty big issues. So let's go into what happened. In November, I was bringing some neighbors across the street some soup and the family that I lived with knew that I was doing that and one of the neighbors had COVID, the other did not. I didn't see the one that had COVID. However, to see the one that did not, I did briefly step inside their house. I was not in close proximity. Close proximity means within six feet, no mask, according to the Alberta health standards. I was not in close contact. However, the family that I was living with saw that I stepped in. They freaked out. They locked me out, literally kicked me out with nothing. I didn't have my car keys. I didn't have a house key. I didn't have a toothbrush. I had nothing. And it was in the evening and it was winter. So I said, I have nowhere to go. And they said, too bad, and shut the door and locked it. So I rang the doorbell until they answered it again. And I said, go downstairs, get me my phone, get me my ID, get me my car keys, get me my toothbrush, go pack a backpack, because I was supposed to go hiking in the mountains with some friends the next morning. The reason why they did that, they say, is because I disregarded them in that one moment that I stepped into the house. No matter how brief it was, and it doesn't matter that I didn't see the person that was diagnosed with COVID at all, point is that I stepped in the house and they had said not to. They didn't say not to, they just said, go bring the soup, put it on the step and come right back, which is what I had been doing that day earlier and the previous day. So I had a lapse of judgment And I cared for the one that didn't have COVID because I just felt so bad because he had to quarantine twice. He'd been away for a month and it was just, I just felt bad. So I stepped in very briefly to put the warm pot onto the stove so that he didn't have to bend down to pick it up because he's old and bending down is hard for him. So that's it. I went in, put the soup on their stove and then made to leave right away. Had a very, very short chat with him and was leaving, always by the door. But the family that I lived with didn't even give me a chance to say that. They simply didn't care. They saw that I went in and that was all that mattered. Their worry is that they would lose work time because of being in close proximity with somebody who was in close proximity with COVID. But I didn't get the chance to say that I wasn't in close proximity and they wouldn't have believed me anyway. Now, apparently they had issues anyway upcoming because I'm in the nursing program and I'm in the units and I'm around things that are contagious all the time. COVID is actually a very minor thing that's contagious, to be honest, in the units. It is there, but it's definitely not the biggest threat. Anyway, they gave no consideration at that. They didn't let me speak at all. They just literally locked me out, threw me out, and I had nothing. I had to grovel for my own keys and 
Uh, it was very humiliating and it was very, very reminiscent of how I was thrown away or abandoned by my biological mother, my whole biological family, to be honest, and some of the foster parents in my teenage years. It was very sudden because there was no fight. There was no strife between us. We were all getting along. I didn't sense any tension and they're pretty upfront about anything so if I would have insulted them they certainly would have said so in the moment but things were really good so I was caught quite off guard and having to relive some of the worst moments of my life because all of a sudden I was not allowed in the house for who knows how long they didn't specify they just locked me out and tossed my bag on the ground with my sweater falling out nothing was clarified and I didn't even have a chance to ask they just locked me out. So I was suddenly very homeless with nowhere to go because it was evening. And where was I going to go? I stayed overnight at someone's house and it was very uncomfortable. And I could tell that he felt bad, but didn't know how to be comforting. And I could not sleep at all whatsoever. My stress was through the roof because one of my fears was to be homeless, to head back on the streets, to have to go back there. And all of a sudden, there I was, without a home and with nothing. It was pretty bad. Again, I lost my appetite. I couldn't sleep a wink. And my emotions were really, really high. And I needed comfort and didn't get it from myself either or from anyone else. So I headed to the mountains with my friend. And there I got comfort. I cried and... She was like, you know what? It is okay to express this. This is a terrible ordeal. And yeah, you went in the house, but you weren't in close proximity and you did not deserve what you got. And there it hit home that I didn't deserve what I got. So I had a bit of a break and we tried to talk about things, to figure things out. And I was treated like a person and it was really, really nice to be among friends. However, in that instance, one of... The people that we connected with was talking about homeless people and there were some stereotypes in there and in that instance i was a little taken aback because i i was homeless so i fit into her stereotypes but i didn't because i don't look homeless and i don't sound homeless and i realized that people don't take you seriously if you don't look the part but i wasn't about to start looking the part intentionally anyway I did lose weight because I couldn't eat. So I ended up staying with that same person for a couple weeks when I got back. And it was very uncomfortable for both of us. And I looked for a place as soon as I could. I found an apartment and it fell through in a way because like things were broken. So when I went and looked in person, it was pretty intact. But when I gave the deposit and started moving my stuff in, it was definitely not good. Like windows were broken broken or unopenable. It smelled like urine really strongly. Things were dirty. The stove had buttons that were actually missing, not just broken, but actually missing. And there were just a lot of things that were wrong. And I was like, you know, I don't have to live in a place like this when I'm about to go back to school into a stressful program. This all happened before I restarted my nursing. I mean, the timing was good, but... I think the circumstance itself could have been avoided altogether. So there I was facing my worst fear of being homeless again and being kind of treated like shit by some people during that crisis. And for me, it was a crisis because I have the background of trauma and it's not a cop out. It's not victimization. It's a fact. That is why I was reacting. I needed comfort. I needed something to rewrite what had happened before. And it simply didn't come from the people that I thought it should have come from. But it did come from people who were far away and just unable to help. So I hit a low and I decided to try to leave with a peaceful transition with that family. So I messaged and said, hey, I just want a peaceful transition. I don't want this um, hostility. I didn't deserve what I got. I can understand why but I'm just really bothered by the fact that you guys are not sorry. And they were not sorry. So I talked it through with one of the members of the family, perhaps the most caring. The reason why I was there is because of this person. And, you know, I told them, like, I really loved living here. 
I loved it very much. And it's hurtful to be just thrown away like that because you guys did treat me like family. And they refused to look at me. And I said I didn't get a chance to defend myself. And they agreed that wasn't fair. They said it happened so quickly. And I said, you guys jumped to a reaction and a conclusion that was negative and you didn't give me a chance to defend myself. And now all of a sudden my life is turned upside down and you guys get to sit here in your security and watch me scramble. And they did. And originally they were, they were like, yeah, that wasn't fair, but it kind of has to be this way. We think it's just time for you to go anyway. It shouldn't have been like this, but you know, whatever we'll, we we want to be part of your support system. It'll just have to be in a different way. So I was like, okay, that's fair. Why don't you guys help me move into this apartment? And then we could do like a weekly dinner or something. And so that was agreed upon. However, when I went back after the quarantine days of 10 days, they had clarified over text. I went back to pack up my things. And of course I was staying there because I had paid the month's rent. And I was chatting with a friend that's far away and I was pretty low because I can't explain the trauma of having to relive some of the worst moments of my life. Like I cannot explain it in a way that would make people understand. It was terrible. That's all I can say. It was awful. It was my worst fear biting me in the face all of a sudden out of the blue when things were really good before. So I was talking to my friend and I said things like, you know, I don't know why I keep trying. Like I'm just surviving, but there's been so much suffering and I don't know the point of it. It's really hard to keep going when you don't know the point and it seems like everything just goes wrong. Now in that moment, I forgot all the times that were good because I hit crisis mode and emotional retrograde remembering of the traumas that I have long since been away from. So people don't understand that unless they've actually gone through it. But my friend got really worried because I don't usually speak like that around them. So he called the cops and I didn't know. He didn't say anything, but I did actually message him after the conversation before the cops got there. And I said, hey, I realized I was talking kind of low. I'm trying to figure out a way to make this work. I'm trying to get back on my feet again and just to do better with this. But he didn't get the message in time. So all I know is someone came downstairs to get me and looked really afraid and said there were people in uniforms at the door. So I thought it might have been paramedics or something for um, the neighbors across the street or something because I had been called there for help before as a nurse. So I went out there and it was some cops and they were positioned strategically and I knew exactly why they were there. So I said, okay, I know exactly why you're here. This is the situation. This is what I said. This is my reaction. This is why I'm reacting. Instead of reacting out of fear, I chose to make it a learning opportunity. So with the apartment, I had signed a lease. So I decided to ask about my rights regarding a lease because I had never signed a lease before. And then I decided to explain my situation, being locked out like that all of a sudden. And I asked what my rights were and I got some information that I found useful. Also, one of the officers worked for Alberta Health Services and I could tell because they have to wear a badge and it has the logo on it. So I said, okay, is this the protocol? Is this the definition of in close contact within six feet without a mask? And he said, yes, that is. And I said, I was not within close contact of this person. So they explained to me my rights and what I could do in the future if something similar were to happen. And then he also said he could connect me with some counseling opportunities. So I talked with them quite a bit and it was perfect timing because it actually saved me an errand because I had to get a police check for school and I wanted to talk to another officer about some of these things anyway. So it was perfect because I didn't have to do that because the officer was right there in front of me. I said, do you think that when a person reaches this level of stress where they don't want to continue with life, that restricting their freedom even more is really helpful? Because they're in this situation because of lack of freedom. And indeed, that's what my situation was. I was always in the hands of someone else and it led always to harm. And they said no. And I said, you're right. Because when people are in situations like mine, they need care and they need 
comfort. They need something different, not more restriction or labels. And they actually backed off. They were really respectful and I did make them laugh. I threw some sarcasm in there and they all handled it well. So it was good because I know they were only doing their jobs, but at the same time, I was caught off guard and it made my circumstance worse. So the help that I had to move into the apartment and the good transition, the good standing, the lack of hostility was gone in a blink of an eye. As soon as I went back in the house, they were like, are you going to sue us now? And I was like, why would I do that? Because I honestly don't think like that. So they said, what was that all about? And I said, well, I actually wanted to talk to one of the officers anyway, because I wanted to see what my rights are going forward having signed a lease. And they said, well, you're paying rent at this other place. And I said, well, I paid it here. And they laughed in my face. And I said, it doesn't matter if it wasn't much because I did get a deal. Like they helped me out quite a bit. So I was like, you know what? I didn't pay much here, but I still paid it. And they laughed in my face and cussed me out and called me a liar and said, fuck you, you liar. And I said, um, you know what? shut up because it's trying to answer your questions and they were not in the place where they could hear anything reasonable. They had reacted, they were afraid. And so I was like, I'm going to have to be the bigger person and go downstairs. And then they were talking about me badly upstairs. So I went downstairs and I figured out who had called the cops. And I called my friend and said, hey, I understand why you called them, but next time let me know because I sent you a message that was recanting some of the things that I said and it made my situation worse. So I lost some help. I lost that lack of hostility that I sought. My friend, of course, was like, I'm sorry. And I was like, I wish that made a difference. I wish that helped my situation but it doesn't. The words, I'm sorry, don't help. Anyway, I received more shit from other people that I feel like should have been more supportive. And I reached out. I cashed in my resources. I was like, okay, you know what? I do have some savings because I worked hard for my time leading up to going back into school because I had prepared to cover my tuition without student loans just in case that didn't come through. So I was like, you know what? I have the means right now to afford a nicer place and I'm going to look. I'm going to be careful before I pick a place because I have made a lot of decisions impulsively and out of fear and it's not been good when I've done that. So I did pounce on this apartment and then it wasn't good so I stood up for myself and I messaged them and I said, hey, you said this would be done long before I moved in. This is wrong. This is wrong. I'm not okay with this. Like, how is this fulfilling your word? And they were nice enough to let me out of the lease. They returned my deposit and I was on the hunt again for another place. So I looked around and I saw this one place that I liked and I tested myself. Like, how did I feel after I left the place? Did I still like it or did I have reservations? And this one place I did like still when I left. So I thought, okay, I'm not gonna pounce on it. I'm gonna look elsewhere first. So I looked at six other places and I still liked the one place. So even though it's more expensive, I decided to opt in for it. And it's been pretty good because I get my own personal space. Now, that was one fear. And in that fear that I faced, I realized that although it was a crisis, definitely an emotional one and a sudden withholding of my own belongings, I didn't have clothes. I didn't have a toothbrush, right? So it was just sudden deprivation of everything that I owned to having to grovel for places to stay. And I found out very quickly who were supportive people in my life and who were not. And also I learned that my hard work did pay off because I covered my own ass and I didn't have to revolve around repaying student loans as much as I have been because I hit a crisis and that's what savings are for. So I'm able to cover my butt until I started work again. That was a very learning moment because I have revolved my life around repaying student loans and all that. And I realized when things happen like this, I don't have to do that. If I have the means to help myself, I should do that first. In this instance, that is what I did. And in a way, 
It felt like taking the reins from social services when I was 15 and I kept getting placed in all these foster health situations that sucked. Honestly, the thought that I had when I was 15 was this isn't working. And then I acted proactively and it was the best decision of my life because that is what led me to Carl and Cecile and to getting education and very, very many pro-social experiences. Again, I had this thought. I was thinking about the rental places I had been in. I've been treated like shit for being a Christian for any reason possible. One person treated me very badly because she said I was too pretty That's subjective and really not a reason to mistreat anyone at all whatsoever. And it wasn't just mistreating someone, like not talking to them or something. It was blatant mistreating. And then the landlord lived upstairs and I told her about it. It was my friend's auntie. And she said, well, you are different as if that's okay. It's just not okay. It is not okay to mistreat people that are different. And if someone's having an emotional reaction, be kind. The world is full of assholes. Don't just be another one. Be kind. I needed compassion and I didn't get it from those that should have been the first to give it. So I faced that fear of being homeless and I got myself out of there because I had the means to do so. And I did have friends who offered, hey, you can crash with us, but moving my stuff back and forth was just annoying. I guess the timing was perfect because I was working part-time because my photography contract had just ended. It had literally ended the day before this happened. So that was good. And then I wasn't due to start school for another two months. And I was due to go visit my brother in one month. And this happened in that one month. So, I mean, the timing was definitely very good. There's another big fear that I had that I won't talk about because not everybody's comfortable with me sharing things because it could personally identify them. But I had to face another fear as well and it definitely reared its ugly head during this crisis of being homeless and during my emotional reactions. It was just sort of confirmation of what I already knew was happening. It really, really sucked. My heart hurt physically every day and I could not sleep. Sometimes I couldn't even cry. I tried and I just couldn't seem to repair that situation. But to be honest, it had been a long time happening and I'd been trying to repair it for a long time before this anyway. But the crisis mode did transfer into it and kind of made things worse. Then the big crunch. I always had this fear of seeing my biological mother I'm not sure why, to be honest, but I can assume it's because of my upbringing. I learned as a child to fear my own mother. I always feared seeing her. I have seen other members of the biological family, like my two sisters, but there was no fear associated and I made it clear that there would be no relationship between them and me because I just saw that they were the same and I realized that I am not the same and they cannot simply hurt me just because. I will stand up for myself. They got the hint, and but I always feared seeing my mother. You know, I knew I would see her because somehow you just always seem to face your fears. But I had always hoped I would be, you know, doing well in life or with someone that would support me and protect me. However, that didn't happen. <laughs> so when I saw her, I was still in transition to going to that apartment, but still being forced to stay away from everything that I owned and had really loved in terms of the place where I love to live. So I went to the food bank because I thought this apartment is really expensive. Maybe I could get an exchange student in there and then I can host them and like provide meals and things like that. And there are tons of resources for students. So I just checked out the food banks. I didn't collect hampers or anything, but I just checked them out and said, hey, I'm a student. What are your resources? Is it okay to use this? Like, do you guys help students? I don't know what's happening. I'm in transition right now. And they were all very open armed and like, yeah, 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 we can sign you up. So I said, well, I mean, I can sign up, but I may not use it. 
So because I didn't get the apartment, I'm not getting the hampers because I don't need it. At that time, that is why I was at the food bank. So I was driving up to one of the food banks and I noticed this lady in the parking lot and I had a fleeting thought in my head and it was my biological mother's name just very, very quickly. And I was still kind of far away, so it's not like I recognized her. And I noticed this lady, she dropped a whole bunch of food. She was collecting a hamper and the box she was holding broke and her stuff fell all over the ground. And then something toppled over on her cart and it turned this big bag of stuff down and it just poured on the ground. And I saw her posture kind of slump like, oh shit. And I was like, that's my life right now. I can totally relate to that. I know how she is feeling. I was astounded though because the place was hopping. There were people getting free food and doing all this stuff, yet nobody bothered to help this woman out. She looked like she was having difficulty bending down to pick her things up. So I was like, well, guess I'll be the one to help her. So I pulled into the lot, pulled my car over, turned it off, went over to her, looking at the ground, not at her. I was like, would you like a hand with this? And she said, yes, please. So I picked all the things off the ground and she kept unloading the things from her cart into her van. And at the end of it, I turned to face this person I had helped and it was my biological mother and she called me by my first name and I called her by her first name and she looked a little taken aback as if I would still call her mom for some reason. Anyway, so she asked like, what are you doing here at the food bank? And I told her I was in transition and I'm moving to finish my nursing program here. And she asked if I had a plan to work here and I diverted so I said I already had some student jobs lined up, but I knew that she meant as a nurse and I could see she was already thinking money. Yeah, so she asked about my life and I was guarded and it was interesting because I was not afraid. I was the bigger person and I saw in her where I was, which was under her control and where I'll never be which is under her control. And I realized that I was at a turning point. I had reached a crossroad where I can either continue to be afraid of this woman or not and see how much better life will get without that fear. It was like I saw in a moment all the decisions that I made that were fear-based that stemmed from her treatment of me as a child. It was interesting because I didn't go to blame her. I went into the decisions that I made myself, including overreactions and lack of emotional regulation. And it was like my eyes were opened. She did say, oh, it's so good to see you. But I have 35 years that prove that that is not true. I had recently read the files from social services and learnt of the horrible things that she said about me as a child that were not true. I also have a memory <laughs> and this is a woman who did horrible things to me as a helpless child and got the sick satisfaction from it. So I didn't respond oh, it's good to see you too, or anything like that. I just said thank you and I knew that was hurtful. but. I'm not really keen on pretending things are fine when they're not. And it's not true to say that it was good to see her. I would have preferred to have seen her doing well in life or, you know, making better life choices. But she looked beaten by life, but no different from when I was younger. And when I was younger, she used to hurt me or punish me severely and then say, look at me. And I would peer into her eyes as a kid while she punished me. And then she would force me to avert my gaze. Usually saying, don't look at me, you're disgusting, or something like that. And telling me to not cry as a small child. I remember she would get this look in her eye. Almost like anger or something. It was like this look. Like a, a flash of some kind. And then she would make me avert my gaze. She got that same look in her eye but she had to be cordial because it was clear that she is no longer a threat to me and she doesn't have a foothold anymore. I was the one who saw her in a vulnerable moment and I was the only one who helped her. And the truth of it is, even if I knew it was her, I would have helped anyway. It was very eye-opening and very sad because 
This is my biological mother. Like, I should love who she is, but I can't because she's been a terrible person to me always. And she's not sorry. So when she left, I could tell she was hurt. And I wanted to say, are you okay? Like, do you need money? Do you need help? I'll, I'll do anything to help. But I couldn't because... I knew that she would see that as a foothold and she would use it to hurt me somehow because she's done that before. And it was just a really interesting moment because there was no fear and there was no after reaction either. I was like, whoa, that was weird. But I wasn't afraid. That fear was just gone. Since I learned about the severity of my upbringing in 2016, 2017, and 2018, I was praying like crazy. God, I need help with closure because nobody gives a rat's ass. Nobody cares. Social services doesn't care. They'll never apologize and mean it. My biological family, some of them felt bad or whatever, but it's like they feel bad from afar. Kind of like when I was homeless recently. People felt bad from their own security. They looking in on the situation, but it was almost like a form of entertainment is what it felt like. And that's not to say that's the case for everybody, because I definitely had friends that helped me move and that offered to put me up for as long as I needed until I was ready to move on. And I think that was really special because some of them were far away, but still offering. And I just couldn't really go far away because I was still working and I needed that income. I saved some of their messages and I reread it just to remind myself people did care at that time. They really cared. Regarding my biological mom though, that was probably one of the biggest fears I've ever had. And I stared it in the face and I think it showed me who I really am, how similar I am, but how different I am to my biological mother. I think it's ironic that we met at the food bank and she did offer me some of her food saying, oh, it's not for me, it's for a friend, which is not true because you have to sign up, you have to prove your identity in order to pick up the hampers. They have a delivery thing that's separate. I mean, I had looked into it just recently that day. I knew she wasn't telling the truth and it was generous of her to offer, but I declined because I wasn't in need. I was just asking what the resources were. And I understand the embarrassment of having to go to the food bank because I was embarrassed to be there and I wasn't even getting a hamper. I was still embarrassed. Yeah, so I understood. So no judgment at all regarding that but my heart still goes out to her and I realized that she missed out on an awesome daughter but I didn't miss out on awesome parents because I have Carl and Cecile and my first reaction afterwards was actually I want to talk to my mom Cecile and so I did she was really encouraging she said this is who you are because if you would have known that it was her you still would have helped her and she just said a bunch of good stuff and just a lot of stuff that really lifted my spirits in a dark time so I faced many fears all at once and I was able to hash a lot of it out with my twin and even facing going back into the nursing program because I withdrew because it was pretty bad. Like the cohort was extremely negative. The learning environment was negative and I took initiative to reach out for help and didn't get it. So of course I crashed and I withdrew and I didn't get a lot of support through that, but I did get a lot of support from that family that I was living with. They really helped me out during that time. I did end things with them because after the cops showed up, I knew they would be hostile and they were. <laughs> so I just said, you know what, don't even talk to me. Let's just not be friends. I've thought about writing them a letter to say, even though things ended terribly here, it doesn't diminish the quality of my time or the fact that I genuinely loved living here with you guys when you treated me like family. But I'm not sure if that would have a positive impact because I know them well enough to know that when they get pitted against someone, they will see negative in absolutely everything, no matter how well it's meant. Most people are like that. In fact, everyone is like that at some point. So this is not saying they're terrible people. It's just saying they are in that moment with me 
and I don't know whether or not such a note would have a positive impact. So I haven't written it and delivered it yet, but I probably will soon, just to kind of close that door for them as well as for myself. Been a lot at once. Now, dealing with re-entering the nursing program, I was very, very careful about finding a healthy environment in which to finish this demanding degree because it's not like the full-time program where your class is an hour. Our minimum classes are three hours and then we have our clinical days. So it's just more than the typical full-time schedule. Plus I work (laughs) and I like my jobs so I'm keeping them because I have financial needs. Now, I was able to hash a lot of stuff out about nursing and what I didn't like with my twin brother and his wife. And it was actually really, really good because they rebooked my ticket so that I could come out like 10 days earlier. And it was awesome. They made it like a place of rest. They were like, you need some respite from everything going on. And we're going to provide that for you. And I'm so, 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 so lucky because they were able to help and they did. And they were not judgmental at all about my venting. They recognized it as venting. And eventually we were able to peg down some of my roots of why I was saying the same things over about certain things. And in the discussions about the closure that I received with my biological mother, it was just interesting because I realized that not everyone in the biological family would get that same kind of closure regarding her that I did. So I guess I can see the silver lining. They may not need it either, but I did. I needed it. We were able to talk about nursing and why I don't like it, what I'm not interested in, and I learned a lot about the careers that are out there that do center around my interest, and they've offered to help me find a job once I register and write the NCLEX, and I'm just really lucky, and I'm realizing that the fear that I had is just gone. Like, I just see all the decisions, and I'm realizing that I can do differently So yes, I reacted, and yes, I had a lot of fear, and even some development delays, but I don't have to stay there, and I can rewrite my life even at the age of 35. It's amazing. So with nursing, I've done some review of some of the beginner stuff, because it's been a while, and I honestly did not think about nursing at all in my entire time that I withdrew. So I started reviewing some stuff and there's something of interest that I'd like to share and it is the self-care portion of this podcast. Self-care. So there is a Maslow's hierarchy of needs and the base needs are, you know, food, water, air, shelter, elimination, so able to pee and poop, um, sexual expression, and temperature, thermal regulation. And then the next level up is safety, physical safety, avoiding harm. And then it's physiological safety, which is that feeling of safety. And this one captured my attention. I need to learn about this because I don't think I have that yet. And the physiological safety is feeling safe. So what that does is that enables the parasympathetic nervous system to activate. The central nervous system cannot be activated when the peripheral nervous system is activated because the central nervous system, when it's activated, your organs are basically put on hold. That's why you don't eat when you're stressed or you overeat. Some people overeat, but for the majority of people, when they're in a direct crisis mode, they do not eat. That's why though, is because your organs are like tense. Like there's so much tension in every way. Your hormones are excreted differently. Your brain is screaming. Your heart is thudding and your stomach is in knots. That's your central nervous system. With that activated, your parasympathetic nervous system, which is where you can relax and think and process, is obviously inactivated. And that's the state that I was in for the entire month of November and half of December. I was not myself at all. Like I went through night after night after night of no sleep at all. And I tried expressing that and even that was met with some disdain. I don't know. It's so weird how a person can regress to their older habits in a moment of crisis. But I had learned to break some of those habits during the crisis 
hopefully rewriting some of those patterns altogether. I think the loss of fear, because I had faced my three biggest fears, really, within a short amount of time in very drastic, confirmative ways. And then all of a sudden I was like, okay, I have faced my fears. Now what? Now it's time to heal. It is time to look after myself. And so that physiological safety is going to be about me finding safety and security for myself. Now, I've always been at the hands of other people because when you rent, people can throw you out for no reason. I have learned that time and time again, and they will. And it's usually bogus. It's not a legit reason. So that's the second level of the Maslow's hierarchy. The next level is your social needs, your interpersonal relationships, your romantic relationships, all of the above. And I'm learning my needs based on that as well. And that's kind of like the next level. That's like where I'm at right now. What I want to work on is more satisfying interpersonal relationships. And I know that I have a part to play in it, but I cannot take the entire blame for how things have played out in the relationships that are not satisfactory. I'm actually at the most lonely point in my life. This is the first time in my life that I've not had groups of friends. I do have friends, but it's just different. Like I'm used to having groups that I would go out and do stuff with. And I just don't have that right now anymore. And it's been a tough couple of years without that. But I do have friends and I'm realizing that I have kind of lost touch with some of them. So I'm reconnecting with them and I'm going to focus on interpersonal relationships and developing friendships and how to form better relationships because I think the friendships that I had came quite easily and I never really had to strive to find friends like I do right now. This is also a very, very steep learning curve and it's very humbling, but I'm very lucky to have the memories that I do. Sometimes my friends and I, we Skype together because they're hours away and uh, we reminisce and it's very fun to reminisce because it's like I'm reminded of really good times and so are they. And we're so lucky to have those memories at all and to have appreciation for those memories. We don't take it for granted. And it's very cool to even share that with someone who was also there. The next level after your social needs is self-respect and respect for others. And I think this is interesting because as you take care of yourself, you can take better care of other people. It's true. But taking care of yourself doesn't mean giving yourself what you want. It means holding yourself accountable, having a moral compass, living up to your own standards, and being the best person that you can be in the less perfect moments. It's really interesting because when you care for a child, part of that care is discipline and accountability. No, it's not okay to swear like that at somebody for any reason. No, you can't call this person a name. No, you can't pull on the dog's ears because it's going to hurt them. You teach the kid what's not okay. Well, you still have to teach yourself what's not okay. And if you're in a partnership or any relationship, a friendship, any, any relationship, to be honest, you have to teach people how to treat you, but you also have to treat yourself how you want people to treat you. So if you want people to be loving and kind, I'm realizing, you have to be loving and kind to yourself because I tolerated a lot of bullshit and I think I handled it gracefully to a certain degree and then I got pushed to my max emotionally and I was triggered for sure, but I gave myself grace to hurt I acknowledged my own feelings, even though I expressed them. Some people were not supportive, and they should have been. They really, really should have been supportive. And some people were supportive, but far away. I was the one who was nearest to me, and I comforted myself. Because I was like, okay, I am hurt. I'm seeking comfort from other people, and I'm being disappointed again. So... I need to step up to the plate and comfort myself. It really worked because I was realistic about it. I was like, okay, so yes, in this situation, I did this wrong. In that situation, I did this wrong. And yeah, I looked back at my decisions that I made, my mistakes that I made that were fear-based 
And that fear doesn't need to be there. It's my reactions, my mistakes. I'm not blaming other people. And as the self-respect develops, people will actually learn and instinctively treat you with more respect. Because eventually, I think, I will surround myself with people that will naturally treat me with respect and courtesy and love. If I treat myself that way, that's going to be what I seek and expect in other people and can live up to. Of course, it's a learning process and people do make mistakes, but I shouldn't be punished long-term for mistakes that I make or for other people's mistakes. And I shouldn't punish other people for other people's mistakes. So it's very, very reciprocal. And then the top of the pyramid of Maslow's hierarchy, human needs, is self-actualization. So my understanding, the Maslow's theory, is that you have to sort of master one level before you can go on to the next. And I think that's true. I'm not sure if it's scientifically founded, but I do think there is logic to it. Because if you're not eating well and not sleeping well and not feeling well and you don't have shelter and you can't thermoregulate, like I was always cold in November, like I was freezing. I could not get warm and I lost a lot of weight. I also lost a lot of hair, probably because of the stress. So I'm looking into scalp health and how to restore that. As you do the basics, you can delve into the further needs. Like you can't really feel safe if you don't have shelter or the means to protect yourself. It's very interesting. I thought I was farther behind than I actually am in life, but I am also taking charge to put myself in a better situation. So I'm going into the nursing program. I will work. I will have a good job anywhere that I go and I will not be so freaking helpless. But I found a good place finally and I was careful about it and I have my own space and it's perfect for studying and doing my online classes. It's just interesting this journey of normalcy. Sometimes I blow things out of proportion because again we can go to neural differences, right? Like, okay, maybe my left hemisphere is smaller or my sulci are bigger or my gyrus are smaller or my frontal lobes are smaller but I think I'm functioning quite well that it's not a handicap per se but there are definitely some neural things but I'm also really self-aware and I'm learning that self-awareness is really essential to a person's entire well-being so a person can look put together externally but if they're not self-aware, they will harm other people and not even know they're doing it. And even if you bring that to their attention, they still don't get it because the underlying factor is that self-awareness. So I had to take a step back when I had the freedom to do so. I wrote things out at night. I wrote out, okay, in this situation with this person, how do I feel? What's being said? What are they saying? What am I saying? What are their mistakes? What are my mistakes? And I looked more at my mistakes than theirs and it was humbling. And I also looked at ways that I held myself back and what I can do differently. So even though the training part of the nursing is not in my interest at all, I'm realizing that I don't have to do that for the rest of my life. This does not dictate the rest of my life. It does, however, open a door to provide something more positive and stable in a way that I'm not stable, which is in terms of residency, having to live as someone's tenant. So I'm working to stabilize and to correct that. It's just interesting because I'm changing the trajectory of my life by learning all of this stuff and I'm an oldie. <laughs> so if I can do it, you can do it. The other thing I'm learning through this phase of loneliness is how to identify and then prioritize my own needs without being selfish. One thing that I have liked doing is being pretty active, but a lot of things are still closed because of COVID. So I've learned a lot of new things at the gym, like weightlifting. I've never done that. I've usually done cardio or endurance, but not really weightlifting. So I've learned about that and I'm starting to practice it because I can strengthen my body and work preventatively. And one thing about nursing that I will say is a good thing is that being around 
such extremely unhealthy people all day is eye-opening because the care that we put into ourselves now matters. Now, sometimes life just shits on you and you have to deal with it. And some patients say they used to be athletic or fairly healthy and then all of a sudden they've got a bunch of things wrong with them. Sometimes that does happen and that sucks. But for the most part, a lot of what we see in the hospitals, in any unit really, is the result of the lack of care that people place on themselves. It's decades of unhealthy decisions. And I'm just realizing like, wow, the care that I put into myself affects how I age. Physically, what are my weaknesses? Let's try to expand on that. So I had some heart issues back to back. I can uh, take a back seat and do some weight training and strengthen my muscles that way, including my cardiac muscle, the heart. And then I can begin to increase cardio capacity. So it's just interesting because I'm exercising. I tell myself I need to eat and it is making a difference. Now that's really new. And my first tendency is to shy away from food when I'm stressed. But now I bring food. So nursing is very stressful. And on the units, they're very early in the morning and it's a long day. And sometimes you get stressed. You just have a bad day. So what I do is I pack granola bars into my pocket. And if I'm starting to get owly or grumpy or just not wanting to be there and I'm recognizing certain emotional things like detachment or disassociation or distancing from people, I will go to the washroom and I will eat a granola bar and drink water and I'll come back out with a new attitude because I'm interrupting the activation of that central nervous system because When you eat, it activates the parasympathetic nervous system and there you kind of have to relax in order to digest. So that's just something I've started practicing because being on those units is very stressful and things are way more stressful if you're not interested in learning them at all. If they're just completely out of your interests and your passion and what you want to do, you're not going to remember things as much and you're not going to want to be there. So I know that going in and I'm trying to prepare proactively for how to handle those moments. And indeed, they have come. And so far, it's been okay. So I'm going to end the Shocks of Normalcy series with this that self-care, the Maslow's hierarchy of needs, looking after yourself from the very basics into the advanced. There's also cognitive needs, you know, like always having to learn. So high need for me is music. I feel like music activates my whole brain, which is probably why I like it. And it's not easy, so I like it. (laughs) Some people need to turn off their brains for a while, so they watch TV. Some people need to play games. Some people need to be active. I think everybody needs to be active, but it's how they're active that is the varying factor. This concludes the Shocks of Normalcy series. Next, I'm going to open up with a series called Fairy Tales Don't Exist, dot, dot, dot. Or do they? I will be talking about personal relationships. Most of it will be romantic based. I won't be sharing very many experiences because I don't know who's okay with me sharing what. But I will talk about elements of certain relationships without identifying each one. So I'll kind of generalize it. And then I'm going to talk about what I've learned along the way. I will interview some couples that have some interesting stories and talk to them about how they get through the shit. Because the shit is what defines the relationship. It's fun. It's easy to get along when things are fine. But when things are not fine, that's when the true character of you and your partner really comes out and what you do with that revelation depicts a lot of who you are. So I have learned a lot about my own weaknesses and I'm choosing to try to learn from my mistakes and to become a better person moving forward. I look forward to opening up that new series with you in the future. Thanks for listening so far. If there's anything that resonates in these episodes and if it's tugging at your heart or anything, share it because I want to create awareness of how to help people like me. I want people to know, oh, this might be why they're reacting. What can I do to help? I can help. Maybe I could just be kind. All right. Have a good one. Mm -hmm.